Educate for Life on AM 1170. The answer is sponsored by EducateForLife.org. Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We're on AM 1170, The Answer in San Diego. You can also stream the show at am1170theanswer.com. On the web, all over the world, you can listen to the show. We're examining current events, politics, and pop culture in light of a biblical worldview. The way we view reality affects the way we live, right? Reality is essentially the way things really are. So as an individual, as a society, we want to be able to see clearly so that we don't crash. If what we see isn't what is real, then we're ultimately going to end up in a position or place we didn't expect to. In the same way that if you watch a movie and a guy's looking at a mirage in the desert, um, what he sees isn't real, and he ends up in a place that he didn't expect to be or didn't want to be. Now, of course, uh, everybody knows Easter is next Sunday, April 5th. So on today's show, we're going to examine the claims of the Bible about Jesus Christ. And I have a special guest with us today who's going to uh, help us with that. As much as is possible, we want to see clearly who Jesus Christ actually is, not who others say he is, not what I would like him to be, but who he actually is. And then we can live life and make better decisions in light of those facts. Now, there's been all kinds of quotes throughout history about Jesus Christ. Uh, many people believe there is no single individual who's impacted history more than Jesus Christ. Uh, famous uh, politician Daniel Webster, who was in Congress, he was Secretary of State in early American history. He said this about Jesus. He said, nearly 2,000 years ago, in an obscure village, a child was born of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village where he worked as a carpenter until he was 30. Then for three years, he became an itinerant preacher. The man never went to college or seminary. He never wrote a book. He never held a public office. He never had a family nor owned a home. He never put his foot inside a big city nor traveled even 200 miles from his birthplace. And though he never did any of the things that usually accompany greatness, throngs of people followed him. He had no credentials but himself. While he was still young, the tide of public opinion turned against him. His followers ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and sentenced to death on a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, the simple coat he had worn. His body was laid in a borrowed grave provided by a compassionate friend. But three days later, this man rose from the dead, living proof that he was, as he had claimed, he was the Savior who God had sent, the incarnate Son of God. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today the risen Lord Jesus Christ is the central figure of the human race. On our calendars, his birth divides history into two eras. One day of every week is set aside in remembrance of him. And our two most important holidays celebrate his birth and resurrection. On church steeples around the world, his cross has become the symbol of victory over sin and death. This one man's life has furnished the theme for more songs, books, poems, and paintings than any other person or event in history. Thousands of colleges, hospitals, orphanages, and other institutions have been founded in honor of this one who gave his life for us. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the governments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned have not changed the course of history as much as this one solitary life. Pretty amazing statement. Uh, absolutely true. And it's worth considering who is this person, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> we all have to make a decision about who he is. Now, my guest today is Dr. Clay Jones. He's a professor of Christian apologetics at Biola University. He formerly hosted his own radio show, Contend for Truth, a nationally syndicated talk radio program. He's debated many people over the eight years that he had that show and 
and beyond that, Buddhists, Muslims, atheists, Mormons, many others. He was the executive director of the Simon Greenleaf University, now Trinity Law School, and he's been on the pastoral staff of two large churches. All kinds of credentials here. Uh, he's writing a book currently called Why God Allows Evil, a very intense subject uh, that hopefully maybe sometime in the future we can have him on again to discuss that. But um, Dr. Jones, I just wanted to say thank you for being here on the show today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Kevin. Absolutely. And I, I wanted to start off by just getting a little ba- bit of background from your own personal um, investigation of Jesus Christ. What caused you to get so involved in studying the historical credibility of Jesus? Well, I think, you know, it's interesting. Growing up, my father was essentially an atheist, and my mother was an astrologer. And uh, together we attended the United Methodist Church. And uh, it was an interesting background. My father thought that religion was a waste of time, and he was a hard-drinking, womanizing kind of guy. Hmm. And my mother was into the occult, I think, frankly, trying to just find some meaning in life. Uh, It wasn't until uh, I was 12 years old that my dad became a Christian, and I became a Christian not too long after that. And truth claims, I think, then became very important to me is because it was like, like I said, on one side, my father thought everything religious was ridiculous. And my mother thought everything religious was, regardless of what it was, was fabulous. And so wow. it yeah, just you... seemed very natural for me, I think, to go, so how does this all work? What yeah. are, what, what, how can we trust anything religiously? Wow, that's, that's so significant. You have uh, so many ideas coming at you in all directions. And I think there's probably a lot of people out there in our audience who have a similar background. I know some of my students as a teacher um, can tell that same story, uh, very, very similar story. And uh, yeah, so it's very interesting to see. So at 12, you became a Christian. Yes, almost 13, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and then that you said those truth claims became very important to you. Uh, how did that follow on throughout high school and then college? Did well, you... I, I right away, uh, you know, started, well, you know, the first people that, that I started encountering were Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. And I began to invite the Jehovah's Witnesses back to my house on a regular basis. In fact, it got to the point later in high school, I started going into, Jeho- into Kingdom Halls to look for Jehovah's Witnesses. To talk to. <laughs> they were running away from you. <laughs> Pretty much. But uh, and as time went on, um, I got under the teaching of Walter Martin, and uh, who Kingdom you know, of the cults. in my area in Orange County. And uh, I began to listen to everything that he had to say. And uh, then I decided to get my B.A. in philosophy, which I did. And, and then when I started working on my Master of Divinity, I was under the tutelage not only of, John, of uh, Walter Martin, but John Wark Montgomery, wow. uh, who was one of the biggest evidential apologists ever, uh, and uh, a lot of current apologists have learned under his tutelage. And and so anyway, it just seemed like, you know, just getting in and figuring out what makes sense here and what doesn't, and is there anything that we can rely on, or is it all just a bunch of uh, just subjective, are we just in a morass of subjective goo mm. that we can't get ourselves out of? And and so anyway, my conclusion, obviously, is absolutely we can know the truth, that there is truth, and it's knowable. And when it comes to Jesus, that he was an actual person of history, and that he actually did die on the cross, and he actually was raised from the dead. Yeah, that's very interesting. Well, so was there a point in your life where you actually 
began to question uh, the truth of Christianity from that time? Uh, there was actually, in fact, it's actually uh, while I was, uh, I think mostly when I was working uh, on my seminary degree, I started getting off into counseling uh, theory and various psychological personality theories. And there came a point where I started going, wow, maybe a lot of this can be explained by psychology. But thankfully, as time went on, I began to realize that that's just absolutely not the case, uh, that we actually do have firm evidence for their, Jesus de- being an actual human person that existed in Palestine, well, in Israel, in first century Israel, and uh, that he really did, again, die on the cross and was raised from the dead. And there's actual evidence for this, and it's not just some sort of psychological need. Yeah, so so you would differentiate the evidence for Christ versus, for example, the evidence of Mormonism in the sense oh, yeah. that I've talked to Mormons uh, frequently, and the answer I get often for why the person is a Mormon is, you know what, I've just decided that it, this could possibly be true, and I'm, I'd rather have it be true than not be true, therefore I'm just going to go with it. Well, you know, Mormons, if you push them on the issue nicely, and I have many times, mm. they believe that Mormonism is true because they got what they call a burning in the bosom. In other words, they got a subjective personal experience uh, that made them say, oh, so this is all, you know, I mean, that this is true. And that's really what it comes down to. In fact, but I'll point out to them all the time, I say, but that's not enough. I mean, Shirley MacLaine uh, believes that she's flying over houses and seeing rooftops through astral projection. Uh, Muslims are blowing themselves up. They believe so much. Uh, Catholics keep claiming that they're having visions of Mary. Uh, subjective experience isn't enough to base your 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 faith on. And it's interesting because the Mormons, I think every single one of them has said, well, that's all you have. And I say, no, that's not all I have. Uh, Jesus really was a historical person that really did live on earth, and he, he really did die on the cross, and he really was raised from the dead. And so my faith isn't built on the fact that I have a personal subjective experience. Now, that being said, I also do have uh, subjective experiences in the sense that, that I think that, you know, this is true. Uh, I believe this is true, and I think that God loves me. Uh, and there are subjective experiences that go along with it. But my faith is not based upon subjective experiences. I see what you're saying. Okay, so ultimately, that sure, that faith, that, that uh, subjective experience is a part of being a Christian, is a part of uh, that that relationship with Jesus Christ, but that is not what you depend upon to know that it's true or false. Certainly not. If if you could show me that Jesus really wasn't raised from the dead, then I would give up being a Christian, because then I would just simply be like every other religion in the world. And in fact, basically every other religion in the world, not only do Mormons basically say, hey, I got a revelation that this is true. Muslims believe that Islam is true because they say they have the subjective experience of believing that the Quran is uh, the most wonderful book in the world. So there's some, some serious similarities between Mormonism and Islam. Oh, interesting. Uh, but, so, yeah, I've heard that the defense for Islam, uh, like you're saying here, is that because the, the Quran is so beautifully written and is such a amazing language, that gives evidence that it's from God. But that's but a very... That's not, the, the trouble with that, Kevin, as you know, is that's not objective evidence. But, I mean, that they would decide this is the most beautiful book in the world. Well, only those 
who want Islam to be true are going to think that uh, the Quran is the most beautiful book in the world. Yeah, I it's mean, very subjective. Uh, and because something is well written, well, guess what? I mean, Shakespeare wrote Niamic Pentameter, uh, and he did a really good job <laughs> of it. But we don't sit there and say, well, you know, I mean, this is this is the most beautiful book in the world. Therefore, what you know, uh, Shakespeare wrote is true. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, exactly. And Mormonism and Islam both share as a fundamental basis this this belief that that the Book of Mormon, in the case of Mormons, and and the Quran, in the case of the Muslims, is is uh, they're having subjective experiences that are telling them that these things are true. Yeah. Now, uh, my guest here today is Dr. Clay Jones, and and he's making the argument here on the radio with us today that Christianity is true not because of emotion but because of evidence, and I actually agree with him. We'll be right back. Stay with us as we explore the truth of Jesus Christ as a histo- historical figure. Take your first steps toward pain-free feet. With just one call, Dr. Roy Phillips will take time with you whether you need top-quality orthotics, relief from ingrown or infected nails, fasciitis, bursitis, or surgical solutions. If you've been told that you need surgery, call Dr. Roy Phillips, 858-272-1091. Learn more online at drphillipspodiatrist.com, 858-272-1091. Foot pain can keep you from working and enjoying life. Call the podiatry office of Dr. Roy Phillips. Top quality custom orthotics have changed the lives of many of his patients. They're made from a mold of your own feet for a perfect fit. These do not break down like drugstore shoe inserts. In fact, they come with a lifetime warranty. Dr. Phillips knows he's worn his pair for 30 pain-free years. Children and adults of all ages have found answers. Learn more at drphillipspodiatrist.com. 858-272-1091. AM 1170 The Answer at am1170theanswer.com. Welcome back to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We are on AM 1170 The Answer in San Diego. Like I said before, you can stream the show at am1170theanswer.com all over the country and even around the world. We've been talking about the evidence for the truth of Jesus Christ. Easter's next Sunday, so of course the topic's very appropriate. I'll be speaking at the Santee Creation and Earth History Museum on April 3rd, that's Good Friday, around 6 p.m. on the Evidence for Jesus Christ, kind of a continuation of this show. And um, I wanted to start off with another quote here. This quote is not from somebody you uh, might necessarily expect to be talking about Jesus Christ. He's not uh, much of a lover, it seems. He's more of a fighter. But his quote is pretty amazing. It's Napoleon Bonaparte, Emperor of the French, right? Uh, uh, Uh... emperor and warrior, really, Uh, he says this about Jesus. You speak of Caesar, of Alexander, of their conquests, and of the enthusiasm which they enkindled in the hearts of their soldiers. But can you conceive of a dead man making conquests with an army faithful and entirely devoted to his memory? My armies have forgotten me even while living. As the Carthaginians' army forgot Hannibal, such is our power. I know men, and I tell you, Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires, but on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, millions would die for him. I search in vain in history to find similar to Jesus Christ or anything which can approach the gospel. Neither history, nor humanity, nor ages, nor nature offer me anything 
with which I am able to compare it or to explain it. Here, everything is extraordinary. What an amazing statement. Now, he was in prison, it's my understanding, when he wrote this. And uh, being in prison obviously gives you a lot of time to think things through and reflect upon your life and uh, to read a lot. And here he seems to have uh, met Jesus Christ or at least uh, grown a tremendous understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And in your exploration, Dr. Jones, um, would you say that you you have come to the same conclusion as Napoleon here? Well, sure. I mean, Jesus is the Lord of life. He has power over death. I mean, certainly. I mean, uh, he. when you consider what the, the, the largest, that you've got what, closing in on 2 billion people claim to be Christians. Mm. And I think it's interesting that even Islam considers Jesus a prophet. So the first and second religions, uh, biggest religions in the world, think there's something really special going on with this man, Jesus. That's, yeah. that's a huge, huge point. Yeah, absolutely. And it is. It just uh, his statement is it's stuff I would never think about. I mean, he has a position from history that he can reflect upon that's different than most people. And for him to say that here I had to force people to do my will and people are forgetting me even as I'm still alive. Yet here we are 2000 years later and Jesus Christ has people all over the world who have been influenced by him, continue to be influenced by him. Excuse me. And and serve him with such fervor. Um, what? Uh, excuse me. Dr. Jones, what evidence can you give our listeners uh, that's not subjective, can you give us that would help somebody to go, okay, this is, this is history, this is not uh, mere emotion or blind faith? Yeah, that's one of the most interesting things I think that you can do. You know, for instance, when it comes to Jesus being crucified, I mean, that's a foundational element. Um, You have Tacitus, who was a Roman general, writing in about 109 A.D. He says that uh, he, he says that to get rid of the report that Nero himself had burned the city. He says. He fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, for whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. So there you have a Roman general saying that Jesus was crucified. Uh, Josephus mentions, although the testimonium has certainly been unfortunately tampered with by Christians in years since, almost everybody agrees that... that, uh, that some of what Josephus said in the Antiquities of the Jews were they said that Pilate condemned him to be crucified and died. Uh, the second century uh, poet Lucian wrote, the Christians, as you know, worship a man to this day. Uh, the distinguished person, personage who introduced their novel rights and was crucified on that account. It's because of these kinds of things that even John Dominic Crossan, who is not, who's the co-founder of the Jesus Seminar, is about as liberal as you're ever going to get when it comes to Christian truth, certainly doesn't believe Jesus was raised from the dead. Uh, but he said, I, and listen to what he said, he said, I take it absolutely for granted that Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Uh, and not only that, not only was it... Uh, John Dominic Crossan, but the atheist German New Testament scholar Gerd Ludemann, listen to what he has to say. He said, it is certain that Jesus was crucified around the year 30. So 
So what do you do when an atheist professor says absolutely positively it is certain that Jesus was crucified around the year uh, 30? I mean, the, the evidence is that Jesus really was crucified, and I didn't even have to quote a verse, although I think that, unfortunately, people dismiss the Bible when they shouldn't, because the, the Bible, the New Testament is just a collection of primary source documents by eyewitnesses. Yeah. Uh, and now, people go, well, it's a book. Well, it's not really. It's really 27 books. It's a collection of primary source documents written by uh, eyewitnesses, who, uh, some of which said, I saw Jesus raised from the dead personally. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, <clears throat> I've, there's always people saying Jesus Christ was never alive. He's not even a real person. <clears throat> um, I just read this on the web. Uh, in 2013, an American scholar, supposedly a biblical scholar, Joseph Atwill said that Jesus was never even really uh, around. He was invented by the Romans, by Roman aristocrats. What do you say to somebody who makes that that kind of a statement? That's dumb. In fact, (laughs) uh, if anybody wants to see more on this, I would encourage them to check out my blog. Jesus wasn't a real person, question mark. That's dumb. That's actually the title of the blog. (laughs) Real technical uh, theological language there. Yeah, I mean, well, yes, that that's dumb is good. All it's logical, <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. But but I, I, it's that's just crazy talk. And and like I say, I just quoted two people, three actually, um, one of them being Tacitus, another being Lucian. Uh, certainly, not only that, Josephus in an under, in a, really in an undisputed passage where he talks about the je- death of James refers to James as the brother of Jesus. So to sit there and say that Jesus wasn't a real person, frankly, that's dumb. Uh, in fact, Bart Ehrman, who is by no means a friend of conservative Christianity, uh, has actually written a book entitled Did Jesus Exist? and comes to, you know, undoubtedly, he says, of course Jesus existed. Okay, I mean, so... this isn't even a question. So those who say that Jesus wasn't a real person, they're frankly on the run. Gotcha, and, okay. and they should be, because their position has been debunked again and again and again, and frankly, most of them are frightened to enter into any kind of public debate on the issue. Because because they could be so easily proven wrong. And we have all kinds of listeners out there right now. Um, they're going to be spending Easter with their family members. Um, some of those family members are going to be non-believers who are going to be going to church and Easter services. And if that subject comes up, uh, what would you recommend to... Uh, the average person who's just wanting to have a discussion with their their relative about Jesus and the historical Jesus, and their, their, maybe their relative says Jesus wasn't real, what's the best way to respond well, to thankfully, that? thankfully, not too many relatives are going to say that. Some will, yeah. because they've seen some, bat, some just error-filled things like the Zeitgeist film. Uh, but, you know, frankly, to just give some quick evidence offhand, I just gave some excellent evidence from Tacitus and Josephus and Lucian, uh, who none of whom were Christians. In fact, if anything, they were um, at least Tacitus and Lucian were enemies of the cause of Christ. Again, I, I, I'm not trying to do a commercial here, but sure. I would encourage anybody to take a look, just point people to my blog, Jesus wasn't a real person. That's dumb, because it, it is, it's a dumb idea. But see, if you say, well, I want more information, well, then read Bart Ehrman's book, Did Jesus Exist? Okay, okay, that's fantastic. So, yeah, visit his website. I encourage you to visit his website. He knows his stuff and uh, would be a blessing to anybody who looks into it. Very, very good. 
what other things can we consider when we're looking at the evidence? We can see that these extra biblical uh, authors reference Jesus. So we've got the Bible verifying the testimony of uh, Christ. We've got extra biblical authors verifying the testimony of Christ. Um, are there any logical reasons for us to believe that Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead? You said Bar Ehrman believes he lived, believed he was crucified, but doesn't necessarily believe that he rose from the dead. Uh, do we have reason to believe that he rose from the dead? Yeah, we do. And and the, the huge evidence is, the, the major evidence, and frankly, this may surprise a lot of your listeners, is that um, even the overwhelming majority of of skeptical scholars and atheist scholars agree that the first disciples began proclaiming that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that Jesus was raised from the dead. They, they claimed, in fact, not only that Jesus was raised from the dead, but they claimed to have seen him raised from the dead personally. They, talked, they said that they talked with him and walked with him and ate with him before his crucifixion, and then they saw him buried, uh, crucified and then buried, and then later they began to proclaim that they saw this man, Jesus, alive again. And again, they did, this wasn't just kind of an apparition. Again, they, they testified of walking with him and talking with him and eating with him over a period of 40 days. Like I say, almost every single uh, scholar I know, on, in, including atheist scholars, agree that this is exactly the case. Um, and, and so there's no, there's, there's no real way of getting around that, the way they try to get around it. Now, this is something that those who have studied it will know, the way they try to get around it and say, yes, well, they, hypno they, they had hypnotic experiences, not hypnotic really, but hallucinatory experiences, <clears throat> excuse me, they had hallucinatory experiences. In other words, they, they were hallucinating all of this. <clears throat> okay, Dr. Jones, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, interrupt you right there because we're right at a break here. But uh, folks, Dr. Jones is going to be answering this question. What if, didn't, what if the disciples just had hallucinations? I mean, is that a possibility that they all just hallucinated and saw what they thought was Jesus because they were so in love with him and so wanted him to have risen from the dead? We'll give Dr. Jones a chance to answer that question when we come back. You're on AM 1170, The Answer with Kevin Conover and Educate for Life. We'll be right back. Foot pain can keep you from working and enjoying life. Call the podiatry office of Dr. Roy Phillips. Top quality custom orthotics have changed the lives of many of his patients. They're made from a mold of your own feet for a perfect fit. These do not break down like drugstore shoe inserts. In fact, they come with a lifetime warranty. Dr. Phillips knows he's worn his pair for 30 pain-free years. Children and adults of all ages have found answers. Learn more at drphillipspodiatrist.com. 858-272-1091. Take your first steps toward pain-free feet with just one call. Dr. Roy Phillips will take time with you whether you need top-quality orthotics, relief from ingrown or infected nails, fasciitis, bursitis, or surgical solutions. If you've been told that you need surgery, call Dr. Roy Phillips, 858-272-1091. Learn more online at drphillipspodiatrist.com, 858-272-1091. Welcome back to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We're on AM 1170, The Answer in San Diego. You can also stream the show at am1170theanswer.com. I want to invite you again. I'm speaking at the San Diego or the Santee Creation and Earth History Museum this upcoming Friday, April 3rd in the evening. It's going to be a fantastic time, and we're going to discuss more about the evidence of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. So... We've been talking about whether Jesus Christ, belief in Jesus Christ, Christ can have evidence or whether we have to rely solely on faith. 
You know, one of the most amazing things that um, I find about Jesus Christ is how much he's impacted the world as a whole. It's amazing to me that somebody who died 2,000 years ago can still be impacting the world today. I had a, uh, a student of mine from China come over, and he went to church for the first time. He was an atheist. He had never experienced church before. And he saw all these people in the church raising their hands and singing these songs, worshiping this person. And he said he just blew him away. And he was wondering to himself, why in the world are all these people worshiping somebody that is dead? Why are they worshiping somebody that's gone? And they couldn't understand. He couldn't understand why this was the case. And he said, there's got to be something more to this than what I know, because I can't see possibly why all these people would be in this building worshiping a dead guy. So it's very interesting. Um, education is one of the ways that, that Christ has impacted the world. Uh, it says here, um, love of learning led to monasteries, which became the cradle of academic guilds. Universities such as Cambridge, Oxford, and Harvard all began as Jesus-inspired efforts to love God with all one's mind. The first legislation to publicly fund education in the colonies was called the Old Deluder Satan Act under the notion that God does not want any child ignorant. The ancient world loved education but tended to reserve it for the elite. The notion that every child bore God's image helped fuel the move for universal literacy. And then regarding children, in the ancient world, children were routinely left to die of exposure particularly if they were of the wrong gender. They were often sold into slavery. Jesus' treatment and teachings about children led to the forbidding of such practices, as well as orphanages and godparents. A Norwegian scholar wrote a study of this impact simply titled, When Children Became People, The Birth of Childhood in Early Christianity. And essentially, he makes the argument that the way we treat children today with such love and care and respect is because of Christianity. You can actually buy that book right off of uh, the web. So pretty, pretty fantastic here. Uh, my guest today is Dr. Clay Jones. Um, welcome back, Dr. Jones. Glad to be back. Glad to be with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, he's given us all kinds of uh, evidences and reasons to believe in Jesus Christ, not only that he was a real person, but also that he actually resurrected from the dead. Um, can we put, pick up where you uh, left off there, Dr. Jones? Yeah, let me just say, you know, it's interesting. When you talk to what I what we might call the village atheist, in other words, the guy that goes, yeah, I'm an atheist, but he hasn't studied it, or the village skeptic who really hasn't studied it, they'll go, oh, well, we don't even know that Jesus was alive. We don't know. Uh, we don't really know anything about Jesus. We don't know that they really, the disciples even claim to have experiences where they said we saw Jesus. But when you, that's, that's, that's the village atheist. When you talk to the academics, and by that I mean those who have studied these things themselves, the evidence themselves, let me just give you three quick quotes here. As I mentioned, atheist New Testament scholar, German scholar Gerd Ludemann said, it may be taken as historically certain that Peter and the disciples had experiences after Jesus' death in which he appeared to them as the risen Christ. Michael Martin, uh, he was an atheist. In fact, he wrote the, the, this is from his book, The Case Against Christianity, wrote, it's correct that the resurrection was proclaimed by the early Christians. Bart Ehrman, in his book, Jesus, Apocalyptic Prophet of the New Millennium, wrote, historians have no difficulty whatsoever speaking about belief in Jesus' resurrection, since it's a matter of public record. For it's a historical fact that some of Jesus' followers came to believe that he'd been raised from the dead soon after his execution. 
Ehrman calls it a historical fact. See, that's the kind of thing that people have to conclude. They have to, if they're going to look at this honestly, they're going to have to say that the just as the academics do that the evidence is that the first disciples believed that Jesus actually was raised from the dead. Okay, they now began to proclaim that. Now, uh, Doctor Clay, somebody's uh, obviously going to ask. Now, just because they believe that doesn't mean it happened. But what you're the case you're making here is that even the atheist scholars admit that Jesus lived because the disciples believed that he rose from the dead. So they they have no problem with the, the Jesus Christ being a real historical person. Is, is that the what you're overwhelming saying? overwhelming majority of skeptical and atheist scholars agree that Jesus was a human person, an actual human person who lived in the first century. Uh, the overwhelming majority, and again, the overwhelming majority of atheist and skeptical scholars uh, believe that Jesus, that the first disciples claimed that Jesus was raised from the dead. The overwhelming majority. Now, they don't think that Jesus was raised from the dead, obviously, or they wouldn't be skeptics. So but they, they believe that the early, the first disciples claimed that. Okay. And, and their, their answer for all of them, basically, is that the disciples hallucinated, were only hallucinating experiences of the risen Jesus. Oh, interesting. So, so they believe he lived, they believe he died, and they believe his disciples claimed he resurrected. But what yes. they don't believe is that he actually resurrected. Right. They don't believe he was actually raised from the dead, obviously, or they wouldn't be skeptics. Yeah, anymore. exactly. <laughs> but, uh, but in their answer, like I say, is hallucination. But that is a very, very weak, weak uh, thing to base your, uh, your confidence on. Um, and, because when you think about what they had, the hallucination theory has so many holes. I mean, it, it's for example, like cheese. like what what would well, be a, for one instance, of the holes? There's not one example in all of history. There's no examples of someone hallu- uh, of mass hallucination because what you've got going on is not only them ha- ha- sharing hallucinations. They're not only sharing hallucinations, but they're having interlocking hallucinations. And I'll give you one example of that. Uh, after Jesus died on the cross, and Jesus appeared to the disciples uh, in a room, and and uh, Thomas said, now this is important, Thomas said, I don't believe it. And so Jesus appears, and he's told him before Jesus appeared, he says, unless I touch his side and touch his wounds, I'm not going to believe. Hmm. Well, Jesus then says, here, Thomas, touch my hand. Touch the wound in my side, see and believe. And Thomas then fell down and said, my Lord and my God. Now, to think about it, not only did Thomas have a, had to have that hallucination, the other ten disciples had to hallucinate that Thomas was actually having that interaction with Jesus. So they're all basically, so, they're all sharing the same dream. They're, they're sharing the same dream, as, as Mike Lacona has put it. You can't share that. It's like if you're lying in bed with someone, uh, if you're lying in bed with your wife, and you th- you dr- you're dreaming and you're, you're in Hawaii, you can't walk, wake your wife up and say, honey, honey, I'm dreaming I'm in Hawaii. <laughs> Why don't you start dreaming that you're in Hawaii, and then we'll both be there? That's great. We don't have to travel. We can save some money. And That's just... <laughs> right. You can't, you can't share a hallucination. That doesn't happen. And by the way, there's no examples of a hallucination being shared in psychological literature. It just doesn't even occur. Yeah. And uh, yeah, not and... only that, but it doesn't you have it doesn't explain the empty tomb. Because the trouble you have is is Christianity wouldn't Jesus resurrection wouldn't have lasted for five minutes 
if his tomb, if he had been in his tomb. Why? Because the Romans or the Jews or both would have just said, would you guys stop it? Here's his body. Stop it. Yeah, we can but just we can put an end to this whole cult thing here. That's why right. we'll put an shut end it down. to this disruptive cult immediately. But they couldn't do that because it, they couldn't produce his body. And so that creates a huge problem for them. Now, now how does how does somebody like Bart Ehrman or or uh, any of these other skeptics, how do they respond to this when when you you've debated atheists, you've seen a lot of debates. How do they respond to this when somebody brings these points up? Well, with great difficulty. And uh, what they'll do is usually is they'll fall back on something like and say something like, well, you just prefer a, a psychological miracle over a natural miracle. One of them put it that way offhand. I don't remember who it was. You're just preferring. I think it was Richard Carrier, but I'm not sure. But um, uh, that you're that you Christians are settling for a psychological. You're, you're you're ruling out a psychological miracle and for a natural one. Well. If if there is a God, and that's one of the things that we always want to start with, and sure. we have good reason to believe there is a God, if there is a God, well, the evidence points to the fact that the evidence does not support the the fact the idea that the the disciples were only hallucinating Jesus' resurrection. Not only that, think about this: hallucinations rarely transform anybody's lives. Mm. They they don't go for forty days. They don't transform lives. And think about this: the first disciples were so convinced of this that they actually gave their lives for their testimony that Jesus was raised from the dead. For their belief, I should say that Jesus was raised from the dead. They actually were willing to suffer and die. Yeah, in but in fact, we know that Peter. Uh, and James. But Dr. Clay, you know, lots of people would say, well, uh, you know, that's no big deal because, you know, lots of religious people have given their lives. Uh, Buddhist, uh, Tibetan Buddhists have uh, died in the flames for something that, that they thought was true. Many Muslims have sacrificed their lives for something that they thought was true. And I want to give Dr. Clay a, a chance to respond to this. When we come back, we'll uh, continue to have this discussion with Dr. Clay about the evidence for the truth of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Thanks for being here. I'm Kevin Conover with Educate for Life. We will be right back. Foot pain can keep you from working and enjoying life. Call the podiatry office of Dr. Roy Phillips. Top quality custom orthotics have changed the lives of many of his patients. They're made from a mold of your own feet for a perfect fit. These do not break down like drugstore shoe inserts. In fact, they come with a lifetime warranty. Dr. Phillips knows he's worn his pair for 30 pain-free years. Children and adults of all ages have found answers. Learn more at drphillipspodiatrist.com. 858-272-1091. Take your first steps toward pain-free feet with just one call. Dr. Roy Phillips will take time with you whether you need top-quality orthotics, relief from ingrown or infected nails, fasciitis, bursitis, or surgical solutions. If you've been told that you need surgery, call Dr. Roy Phillips, 858-272-1091. Learn more online at drphillipspodiatrist.com, 858-272-1091. Welcome back to Educate for Life. We're here with Dr. Clay Jones of Biola University. He also has his own website. Uh, Dr. Jones, what's your website? ClayJones.net. Could anything be more simple? Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. How much did you have to pay to get that website? (laughs) Uh, Not very much, actually. (laughs) There's not a lot of people with Clay Jones. Not a lot of people named Clay Jones, I guess, or at least they want to have websites. (laughs) Thank you for being here this evening, Dr. Dr. Jones. Just want to thank you for taking the time out to be here with us and to get, share with us your expertise. And um, 
We're on AM 1170. For those of you who are just joining us, we're on The Answer in San Diego. You can stream the show also at am1170theanswer.com. My website is educateforlife.org, educateforlife.org. And on my website, you can take all kinds of classes regarding the Bible. How do we know the Bible is true? Who wrote the Bible? You can also look at classes on creation and evolution. What evidence do we have for the truth of creation in the Bible versus evolution? You can also look at how do we deal with social issues? How do, we, how do I respond to somebody who's pro-abortion? How do I deal with the difficult issue of homosexuality? All these kinds of classes are on my site. You can take them there at educateforlife.org. We're talking about Jesus Christ because right around the corner here is Easter. And I wanted to talk about one more thing that Christ brought into the world through his presence, through his teaching, through the way he lived his life. You know, a lot of people, a lot of us take it for granted, especially here in uh, America, that compassion is just the way you should be, right? It's very politically correct today to be compassionate towards others. But this wasn't always the case. Um, in the past, a lot of people looked down on compassion. But Jesus, he had a universal concern for all those who suffered. Right? It, it transcended all the rules of the ancient world. His compassion for the poor and the sick led to institutions for lepers, the beginning of modern-day hospitals. Um, some of the biblical councils decreed that wherever a cathedral existed, there must also be a hospice, a place of caring for the sick and poor. That's why even today, hospitals have names like the Good Samaritan or Good Shepherd or St. Anthony. They were the fir- world's first voluntary charitable institutions, all because of Christ. Humility is another thing that today we respect people who are humble and not arrogant or prideful. But in the past, this wasn't the case. In the ancient world, uh, many people were honored for virtues like courage and wisdom, but not humility. People were generally divided into first class, right, and then coach. There was no kind of middle class. Um, Cicero said rank must be preserved. Plutarch actually wrote a book, kind of a self-help book, on how to praise yourself without being offensive. But contrast that with Christ, Jesus' life, right? He was a foot-washing servant. He washed his disciples' feet. He was the leader. He was the master. And yet he humbled himself to a servant. And uh, that's just amazing. Historian John Dixon writes, It is unlikely that any of us would aspire to this virtue were it not for the historical impact of his crucifixion. And I really think that's true. A lot of what we look at today and we praise and we respect in our culture today, actually comes from the Judeo-Christian worldview, which, of course, comes from Jesus Christ. So, uh, Dr. Clay, we were just talking before the break, we were talking about the uh, excuse that some skeptics will bring up is that, hey, the disciples did believe Jesus resurrected, but they actually hallucinated. We dealt with that. Um, and then we, we dealt with the fact that, or we're, we're dealing with it, we're in the process of dealing with the fact that uh, the disciples died believing that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, And yet, Buddhists die for what they believe in. Uh, Buddhists have died. Muslims have died for what they believe in. So what sets apart Christianity from these other religions? Well, you know, this is a hugely important point. And that objection, well, other people die for their faith. It's true. Other people die for what they believe. People will die for what they believe all the time. That's not unusual. It's within our experience. I mean, think about it. In a sense, soldiers in combat, combat are dying for what they believe. The big difference, however, is, the huge difference is, but nobody dies for what they know is false. 
and the early Christians proclaimed that they saw Jesus raised from the dead. That was their proclamation, as I mentioned. This is what basically all the atheists agree with, all the skepticals. Are, I should, shouldn't use the word all. I need to be very careful. Yeah. <laughs> most skeptics, most atheists agree that the first disciples that are academic that have studied this believe that they saw Jesus raised from the dead. Well, you know, if that's the case, uh, the, the, you ha- what you have to realize is that these people making these proclamations, uh, if, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, since they said, I saw this man Jesus raised from the dead, if he wasn't raised from the dead, then they were actually dying for what they knew was false. See, people, it's true that people die for what they think is true, and so often people die for what they think is true that turns out to be false. But nobody dies for what they know is false. So, so what, for what you know is a falsehood, uh, unless you had got something big out of it otherwise. And I would, you know, dare say you're not going to find what the anything big that the disciples were getting out of that. So what? Nobody dies for what they know is false. That makes a lot of sense. What you're saying. What do we have? What evidence do we have? Do we have the historical record of each of the disciples dying for Jesus Christ? Uh, no, we do not. Uh, but uh, we certainly have a lot of record on that. And in fact, well, here it is. Um, I have a blog entitled, Did Peter and Paul Die for Their uh, Belief That Jesus Rose? Uh, and uh, if people go and check that out, I go out and lay out the evidence for just Peter and Paul. There's also good evidence for James. In fact, we know from Josephus uh, that James was stoned to death by the Sanhedrin. And as people have asked, how much evidence, we'd like to ask, how much evidence would you it take you, because James is the brother of Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah. How much evidence would it take you to so believe that your brother was raised from the dead that you would be willing to die for it? Boy, yeah, it this a lot isn't, of evidence, wouldn't it? Yeah, this isn't like a practical joke or something. This isn't yeah, like, this hey, isn't guys, let's... Yeah, uh... I'm going to, you know, hey, you know, I, and I mean, uh, frankly... When you when people started in cross examining cross examining the disciples as they certainly did. In fact, if you read in Acts, they were challenging them all the time. You know, under cross examination and the face of their own death, they're going to go. They're going to treat people treat hallucination if it were if you're going to say it was hallucination like anybody would. You're not that sure. Well, I thought I saw it. Yeah, yeah. You never have any of them say, well, you know, I thought I saw it. They don't back down. They say, no, we walked with him, we talked with him, we touched him, uh, we ate with him. We saw this man raised from the dead, and we are willing, in fact, uh, they were willing to give their lives for their belief that Jesus was raised from the dead. And as I said, if he really wasn't raised from the dead, then they were dying for what they knew was false, and nobody does that. Yeah, this and this wasn't a 50-50 proposition like you're saying. This wasn't like, hey, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I think it's a real possibility. You know, this was, uh, hey, your life's at risk here, so... Either. And I think that's, yes, and that's the amazing testimony. Not only that, but they, were be, you know, they would be betraying their religion, completely betraying their religion. They would be... Te- you mean Judaism is what you're referring they to. Be, they would be teaching lies so that people would believe in their gospel. I'm, it just, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ was not raised from the dead, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith that the foundation of Christianity is based on the fact that this man, Jesus, died on the cross, that people saw it, that later that his tomb was found empty, and then he, the disciples began to proclaim that he was raised from the dead. And this is what, like I say, even skeptical scholars agree, that the disciples started to proclaim that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, now um, this, is, this is pretty powerful evidence here for me. I mean, this is a big part of the reason that 
I'm a believer is because of the this kind of evidence that you're presenting here. Um, I don't want to go with just emotion. I don't want to go with just feelings. I don't want to believe something just because, you know, I hope it's true or something. I want to believe something because it is true. And I think this this evidence makes it more probable that he did rise from the dead than that he didn't rise from the dead. Uh, oh, at the very least. I mean, uh, you know, the thing is, is we, we need to be aware of the heart of humankind. Mm. Uh, and you need to ask people sometimes, if I answered all your questions, would you become a Christian? And what you're going to find out a lot of times is the answer to that is no. In other words, people's objections to the cause of Christ and to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, their objections are not substantial. Their objections are generated by the fact that they don't want Christianity to be true. And so we need to just be aware of that, uh, because as Jesus himself said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given it except for the sign of Jonah. And the sign of Jonah was that as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And so what Jesus was saying is that it's actually a sign of a wicked and adulterous heart that you say, yeah, but it's not enough evidence for me. The evidence is there for those who want to receive it, who are willing to receive it. And uh, those who don't, well, they're responsible for the fact that they're rejecting what is obvious truth. Yeah. So when we're talking to family members or relatives and we're having this discussion about Jesus Christ, a big part, part that plays into this is actually prayer, because what we're also hoping for is not just an intellectual breakthrough. We're actually hoping for a, a spiritual breakthrough, too, here, a heart issue. That's absolutely correct, is that people, frankly, again, uh, people don't want Christianity to be true. And when somebody doesn't want it to be true, they will start to give you one insubstantial argument after another, like the fact, like the idea that people can ha share hallucinations and even interlocking hallucinations, uh, which there's no record for in the history of the world uh, that people have ever shared an interlocking hallucination. Uh, it, it just That's not within psychological literature. There's nothing that supports that idea. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. Well, Dr. Jones, I just want to say thank you so much for being here on the show with us. We're actually going to continue this discussion next week, every Sunday, 4 to 5 p.m. You can join me here. My name is Kevin Conover. I'm with Educate for Life. And we're going to be discussing all these cultural issues, political issues, pop culture issues in light of a biblical worldview. How do we respond uh, to these issues from a biblical worldview? And what reason do I have to hold a biblical worldview? We want to be rational, logical, historically minded, scientifically minded individuals. Because if the God of the Bible is the God of nature and creation, then we don't have to worry about them uh, disagreeing with one another. So, uh, Dr. Jones, thank you very much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me on, Kevin. Okay. Everybody out there, um, have a fantastic evening. I will see you next week or talk to you next week at least. God bless. Bye-bye. Educate for Life on AM 1170. The Answer is sponsored by educateforlife.org.